listening to Historical AF, or if you curse like we do, Historical As Fuck. This is your sexy librarian, Ashley. And I am your weird historian, Kina. We're here to deliver the weird, spooky, morbid, and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed. Welcome to episode two. Full disclosure, I haven't even officially listened to our last episode yet. I listened to it before it got posted, but I haven't given my official listen yet. Oh, me either, because, yeah, editing. (laughs) Yeah, you listened to it approximately 5,000 times, so... I officially hate the sound of my own voice. You probably hate the sound of my own voice, too, so I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. I'm very sad you guys can't see my drink because it's glowing. I have a little ice cube that glows red and blue. I got it at Disney World because Disney is the best place. But if you joined our Patreon, I bet you could see it in the bloopers. Ooh, good plug. (laughs) Yeah, all about that promotion. How are we this week? How was your week? Uh, my week has been good. I have been struggling with a little bit of illness, but I think the plague is going to pass and I will survive. My week was, well, it was a week. <laughs> I think like everyone was just like in really foul moods everywhere I go. And I just, it's been another week of just not feeling great. Like a, you know, chronic illness, blah. So I'm making it like I had such good plans of being productive. And then every chance I've gotten to just sit still, I've taken a nap. So that's over with. And the rest of this week is going to be fucking awesome. I am determined either that or it's going to go in a ball of fire. We it remains to be seen. (laughs) Well, it's going to be a good week because Endgame comes out and uh, your girl's a nerd. So I'm so excited. Yes, yes, I need to. I need to catch up. I promise I will catch up and then I will definitely go see it. We have been watching all the movies to get like prepared, you know, pre-watching them. Of course. uh, We're behind because we're slackers. So we're going to have to double up in a couple of days. Yikes. So we're going to have to knock this podcast out like real fast. I know. Well, we're also old. So we go to bed at like nine. So big mood. There's only so so many we can watch. We're on Ant-Man, so we're getting close to the end. I haven't watched those either. Oh, my God. You have not oh my God. anything. What I'm the worst doing? Avengers fan ever. I'm, I'll fix it. I'll fix it, I promise. Your homework is to watch all of them. For my husband listening to this posthumously, I'm not posthumously. He's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. No, thank <laughs> After the edits... I'm not going to kill my husband yet. They will use this in your trial. That's like I'm in a Facebook group that's something like, okay, this post sounds like evidence in a future trial. (laughs) But okay, yeah, that was definitely that. But yeah, so when my husband listens to this later, he'll be like, wow, you really have not seen any of those. And I'm very disappointed. I mean, I don't blame him. I'm a little disappointed, too. Sorry, fam. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. You just have plans now. I do. I do. I have to work Saturday, but besides that, I will definitely be watching all of those. Also, I just found this thing I used to have on my desk at my old job, and it just says nope. (laughs) I love it. You're going to need to save that for one of my stories later. There's a lot of nopes in it. There's definitely a part where I need to say nope on one of my stories as well, so. Nope, nope, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Well, I, I mean, I guess I'll just jump right in. Do we want to give a rundown of what we rolled or do we want to just say it as we start our story i think we should say what the theme is oh we shit we never said it 
I wrote that down. Yay, past Kina. Good job. Thanks, past Kina. Yeah, no, like Monday, Ashley told herself that Tuesday, Ashley could deal with the problems. And then Tuesday, Ashley pushed him off on Wednesday, Ashley. And Wednesday, Ashley is fucking confused. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. So our theme this week that we totally did not forget to mention is family ties. Yay, families. And uh, so, that's yeah. why we're drinking vodka tonight. Cheers, yes. family. Cheers. And my giant Dickies barbecue cup. Dickies, sponsor us. Mine is Bubba Gump Shrimp. Nice. My Disney World glowy ice thing in it, so it's extra classy. I am super pumped. I actually went to Bubba Gump for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I was blown away. Like, there's Forrest Gump trivia, and, like, the food's amazing, and it has, like, movie stuff everywhere. It's like, where have you been all my life? I've only been to Bubba Gump Shrimp Company once, and I actually won the trivia contest because it's one of my favorite movies. Oh, I love it so much. It's been so long since I've seen it, but now I want to watch it. So Yes, yes. That'll no, be my fun. homework. Your yes. homework is to watch all the Avengers movies. While I'm watching all 20,000 fucking Avengers movies this yes, weekend. Yes, you Bubba have Gump. to be or prepared. Well, you can't watch Endgame and not know what's going on, and you cannot watch it without knowing who Captain Marvel is. Yes, I definitely need to see that because major girl power. Oh my god, full full disclosure, I'm so enamored by Brie Larson that I've made it my goal this year to be able to lift as heavy as she can because yes. she did a 225-pound deadlift, a 400-pound hip thrust, and then she was doing these like push-ups with chains and like pull-ups and shit. My goal like is to, I know, my goal is to do that by the end of the year. Dude, I need to get on that train, that goal, that something. I know. Well, I'm at 125 right now on both for deadlifts and hip thrusts. So we're getting there. I still can't do a push-up or a pull-up, but I'm getting there. I might be able to pick up my two 10-pound dumbbells downstairs without hurting myself. (laughs) Not to make it sound like I'm like a gym bro or anything. I want to be, but... You totally are. I just like to pick up heavy things and put them back down. So... Is there anything we need to say before we just jump in and start with the the talkie talkie? Um, probably not. Let's do this. So I have a loose interpretation of my roles this week, and I'm really sorry in advance. I'm really dreading my topics because they made me really sad. Oh, no. I think that's why I was like putting off doing my notes. So I'm sorry in advance that it's really sad. Oh, well, that's a bummer. See what we can do with that. Got to throw some humor in there. Hell yes, as we always do for all episode and a half. Yeah. I mean, I think mine are pretty funny, but. Okay, good. It might also not land. So we'll see. (laughs) I need you to bring the heat. Okay. So, and my. I mentioned this before, but my notes are handwritten this week instead of typed. And my handwriting is like that of a really angry, flu-addled toddler. Because I was originally (laughs) supposed to be right-handed, but I'm left-handed, so it's really bad. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. For my first role, I got historical AF, just our basic historical. And I decided to talk about the Oedipal complex. That's right. <gasps> we're going with Freud. What? Yes. what? Oh my yes, God. we're going to talk about Sigmund Freud a little bit, specifically the Oedipal complex or Oedipus complex. 
Oh my God, this is going to be the test to see how much I remember from college because I was actually a psychology major in undergrad. Yes. Yes, so, I figured you would really enjoy this because of the whole psych background and all that. Which the answer is probably zero. I remember zero from college. So go. Girl, same, same. <laughs> so first off, so the Oedipus Complex is, call, is called that because it's named after Sophocles' play Oedipus Rex. And little spoiler, Oedipus kills his father and he marries his mother. And doesn't he lose like an eye too? I'm almost positive, but it's been so long since I've read it, I'm afraid to say yes. I think he, like, bangs his mom and then, like, gouges his eyes out. Isn't that what happens? I, I could would also gouge my eyes out, but, you know. <laughs> Don't quote me on that, but that's what I remember from literature. I really need to reread it. I'll add it to my reading list. <laughs> so, and there's a female equivalent called the Electra Complex, but we're just going to focus on the, like, male-centered this time. Okay. The term was created by Sigmund Freud as part of his theory of psychosexual stages of development. And he first proposed this concept in his 1899 book, The Interpretation of Dreams. And considered pretty controversial in some psychology groups, but it was still kind of used as a a building block or a foundation for some of the things that are still used today. But I think it was the foundation of it was either, oh, this is great and we're building off of it, or we think he's a complete crackpot and we're building from there. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of up in the air. But anyway, so there's five psychosexual stages. There's the oral stage from birth to one year, anal stage from one to three years, phallic stage from three to six years, the latent stage from six to puberty, and then the genital stage from puberty to death. So... And each of these stages talk is focused around the age at which you or a person, a child, is obsessed with an erogenous zone, like the oral stage is their mouth. And the anal stage, which I, th- I thought was really weird, is not weird, normal, I guess, but for kids to have like their erogenous zone in their anal area, Jesus Christ, well, why am I talking about this? I think it's just weird to think that you have an entire stage of your life where you're kind of obsessed with your anus. I think yes. that's where he lost a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like he lost a lot of people there. And because like he kind of focused on kids learning how to control their bodily functions, like pooping and peeing yeah. was equivalent to an erogenous zone and that's like literally not the same thing but okay and um, he like sexualized everything yes yes oh my gosh so the oedipus complex usually starts in the phallic stage which is about three to six years of age i'm gonna say because oedipus was focused more on the males i'm just gonna stick with male but uh i tried to make this as like gender neutral as possible but because there's a separate thing for girls i just i'm just gonna keep saying he and boy and all that so the boy begins to view their father as a rival for the affection of their mothers but while they view the father as a rival they also fear punishment by the father for these feelings i'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute but it's called castration anxiety oh wow yeah, which, oh shit, I forgot her name. Uh, somebody in one of the articles I was reading today, uh, who's a psychologist, back in like the 80s, was like, hey, that's actually a load of shit. <laughs> and he, in the Elector Complex, he thought that girls would also have penis envy. Oh my God. And 
basically meaning that they were jealous that men had penis and this, penises and they didn't. Okay, listen, you can't see my eyes rolling, but they are. Also, the only thing I'm jealous about is that they can pee standing up when you're out in the woods. That's about it. Reach. Preach it. Yeah, he said that they had penis envy, and this psychologist was like, that's a load of shit, bro. And <laughs> that would be like saying that men have womb envy for not being able to birth kids. Yes, we create life. Exactly. Envy. Like, no. So, yeah, I just, I'm just jealous that they can pee standing up. But, I mean, I could too, but... It's way more complicated. Exactly. But, yes, castration anxiety, which sounds... It's pretty much as weird as it is. But yeah, so that that's definitely another place that he lost a lot of people being like, oh, you're so jealous that you don't have a dick or someone will cut it off. But anyway, <laughs> so that is a perfect segue. Yeah, dear God. Sorry, mom and dad. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> Mom, listen to this podcast I'm doing. Let me talk about genitals. Anyway, that's the that's the nitty gritty of it. The kid really just if it's a boy, they really love their mom and rival their dad. So that's just the the main skeletal frame of it. So how do kids get out of it? I keep pointing at my notes like you can see it through the screen. So basically the child eventually evolves to identify with the same sex parent, their dad, instead of competing with them, which ultimately leads to developing a mature sexual identity. So, and I didn't mention this, like when boys rival their dad, it manifests as like their them telling their dad, you can't kiss my mom, you can't hug my mom, and being, like, really protective of her. And with girls, it's, you know, I want to marry my dad when I grow up and stuff like that. So instead of telling their dad, you can't be with my mom because I want to be with my mom Mm -hmm. through Freud's looking glass, it's like they start identifying with their dad like as their mom's protector, but they don't like keep their dad at arm's length. Okay. And then ultimately this leads to how they develop a mature sexual identity. So for anyone out there that is like, I wonder if my kid has Oedipal complex. Also doing all this, I was like, yeah, I'm really glad I'm not having kids (laughs) because I don't want to deal with this. But anyway, so signs of an Oedipal complex. So the boy might have a possessiveness of his mom. Girls say they want to marry their dads when they grow up. Yeah, so, I mean, just the the possessiveness, which, I mean, all kids do that. Like, I remember saying I was going to marry my dad when I was little. Like, he was the best guy I never knew, and, I mean, he still is. But, like, I remember doing that. And I remember little boys, like, when I worked in daycares that would do the same thing. You know, the, you know, my mom is my BFF kind of thing. So it's kind of hard to see, like, when Oedipal Complex becomes a problem until it is a problem. Okay. How is it resolved? found this info on a website called Very Well Mind, and it had like a lot of really good comprehensive information. So some of this I have in quotes because I couldn't have worded it any better myself. So Freud posed that the complex comes from the id or what I've heard called the caveman brain or the primal source of energy that seeks to immediately satisfy all of the unconscious urges. Mm-hmm. So the part of our brain, right, that's like, go, go, go right now, right now. But then the ego, the part of the personality that mediates between urges of id and the demands of reality is kind of what starts to develop. So kids go from I have to have mom's attention all the time to, okay, the reality of the situation is I don't have to have her all the time. Mm -hmm. Then the boy goes into what's 
called the castration anxiety. It's a fear of both literal and figurative emasculation from their dad or their father figure. Okay, that makes more sense with the title. Yeah, yeah. So Freud said that when the boy becomes aware of the difference, this is where it really lost me. Like, I was like, okay, I can suspend disbelief, but this is where it lost me. So Freud said that when the boy becomes aware of the difference between penises and vaginas, he assumes that mom's penis has been removed. Oh, my. And that dad will also castrate the child as punishment for desiring his mother. Oh. Like, excuse me? No. Okay, what happened in Freud's childhood to make him think these things? Like, I think about that all the time. Because he had some serious mommy issues. Like, serious. Yes, and, like, I tried to go back and look for this, and I could not really find anything comprehensive that I felt, like, comfortable being, like, this is exactly what happened. So, yeah, like, he... Fuck, dude had some major mommy issues. But anyway, to resolve that fear or that conflict, the super ego kicks in. You know, we've got the three parts of our brain or personality, the id, ego, super ego. So wonder twin powers activate and (laughs) go together. And the super ego, like, basically kicks in that third side of the triangle. And this becomes their moral authority. Mm -hmm. I remember Um, in psych, they told us it was like an iceberg. The three parts. Yes. Yes. See, and I never, I remembered hearing that in psych class, but I never saw it when talking about this. But then when I saw the iceberg theory mentioned in something else I was researching for today, I was like, wait, why didn't they talk about that? But yeah, so it's like an iceberg and yeah, it's pretty cool. So basically they, with the superego kicking in, not cooking in, basically (laughs) an internalized father figure that works to suppress the urges of the id and keep the ego in check. So the superego serves as the father figure. Like, I I read stuff about how the child actually wrote it down. So in The Ego and the Id, which is a book that Freud wrote, Mm -hmm. he states that the superego retains the character of the child's father, and that is what represses the Oedipus complex. Oh, okay. This was another thing that kind of lost me because it basically is like the child takes the influence of the father figure And then, like, inserts it in their own personality and then has, like, their own tiny father figure in their head telling them not to covet their mother. Oh. Yeah, it's really weird. But then outside influences, including, like, social norms, religious teachings, and cultural influences also help suppress the complex. So you've got, like, a good three-year stretch where kids will kind of experiment with this, but then it kind of tones down as long as they have these influences. And I wrote, like, a little bit of nature, a little bit of nurture. I've always been a personal believer of nature over nurture, nurture over nature. I can't words. So, but (laughs) this is like a little, the words are really hard today. So it's a little bit of both. But anywho, this conflict and resolution creates the child's overall sense of right and wrong. So this is like a really good stage for them to build their moral compass. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a, a weird position to start that moral compass. But anyway, but what happens if it doesn't resolve? A fixation can occur where men become mother fixated, women become father fixated, and then they will seek out partners that resemble that parent. Oh. Yes. So like every episode of Criminal Minds ever where the guy only kidnaps long haired brunettes who turn out to look exactly like his mom, you know, that kind of thing. Norman Bates. Oh, yeah. uh, That's a good one. I've actually seen and I really wanted to pull that stuff, but I just... I didn't have time and I want to visit another episode, but 
I really, I've seen a lot of like psych papers comparing Norman Bates with the Oedipal Complex and all that. So that's really cool. But yeah, so I mean, that's a short overview of Oedipus Complex. That's really cool. I always found it fascinating being in school, learning about all these psychologists and pretty much what we know of psychology today was built on these main characters being like Freud and Young and I'm blanking on the other one I'm trying to think of. Oh, my God. Anyway, but all of them were completely fucked up. Like, they all had mommy and daddy issues. They were all neglected in some way. Like, they had not dealt with any of their issues. Like, it is just insane that they are the leading authorities on psychology today. Yes. Like, I, I always wondered if we could, like, discover one day that they were also in therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, who, who, like, psychoanalyzed the psychoanalyst? Right. Oh, Skinner. That's who I was trying to think of. Yes. He was the one that did developmental psychology, but he created a crib that would take care of your baby. Like it would feed it like a cow, like come in a trough, you know, like with a bottle. And the kid was never touched. And this was his kid. And he grew up completely fucked up because we know now that kids have to have human interaction. That's why we do skin to skin contact and they have to be held but yeah, That's he horrifying. was horrifying. Yeah, he was like, "No, the crib can do it. It's fine." Well, that, I know what I'll be looking up tomorrow at lunch break. <laughs> yeah, all I learned from developmental psychology is no matter what you do, you're gonna screw up your kids, and it's cool. Just keep them alive, let them know they're loved, and just yes. do your best. Like, there's and, really nothing else you can do. And that's why I won't have any. <laughs> it's still up in the air. For me. <laughs> Some days I'm like, ooh, a tiny human would be cool. And other days I'm like, nah, I'm good. I like my sleep. Yeah. I like being able to go wherever I want. Yeah, I'm going to just stick to being a dog mom. A rad-ass dog mom. <laughs> oh, I know. As mine are clawing at the door to come in. Mom, it's <laughs> storming. Let me in. Oh, bless her hearts. Yeah, before it starts storming here, I'll have to go downstairs and pet the dog. <laughs> <sighs> oh, Sir Reginald. All right, so do you want some spooky, weird, or funny? Let's go. Mm. Ooh, I know. (laughs) I'm trying to think what would go best before my next story. Let's go spooky. Okay. I'm really excited about this one. Good. All right, so we're going to talk about the Magnolia Hotel (gasps) that is located in Seguin, Texas. Yes. May or may not be my new location, but I figure since there's 25,000 people here, you can't really, like, zero in on my coordinates. So, it's and fine. And address is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So, Seguin was founded just 16 months after the Texas Revolution began, which I found really interesting. It was named after Juan Seguin, who was a Tejano Texan freedom fighter and an early supporter of the Republic of Texas. And he has a really cool gravesite with, like, a memorial and they apparently moved him here so that they could be like, hey, you know, this is the guy that we're named after. But he was not buried here at the beginning. So, you know, that's that, a thing. Yeah. Do you want ghosts? Because that's how you get ghosts. That is. Complete side note, Seguin is also the home of the world's largest pecan. And I looked it up. And it's five feet long, two and a half feet wide, and it weighs a thousand pounds. Okay, do they have it, like, preserved now so it will always be pecan? Okay, so I didn't really know. Like, it's at the courthouse, so we've taken pictures with it, of course. Okay, of course. It's like you have to when you move here. We put the baby on it and stuff, like my nephew. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, so apparently it was like this dentist that wanted to show off that he could like sculpt this giant pecan or something. And he made it. So it like symbolizes like how important the pecan is to this area. It's worth a Google. It's not like a legit giant nut that like grew on someone's tree in a backyard. No, that's what I thought it was at first, which apparently you can tell I'm not from here. But I know pecans are a huge thing around here. Like even in my backyard, we have pecans. They're just everywhere. So it's a big deal. So I assume that he made the giant pecan to just kind of symbolize how important pecans are. Or if you're my husband, you say pecan. So whichever you go by. How dare he? (laughs) That is one word that I feel very strongly about how people pronounce it. (laughs) Yeah. He he says pecan. Apparently it's a thing. Although he's from almost Canada in Wisconsin. So I don't know if that's a thing there, but. Not an excuse. He but, has been Southern long enough. I know. We're almost Mexico now, so it's pecan. So Yes. All right. So we're going to get to the Magnolia Hotel now. Woo! So in the 1840s, Seguin co-founder and Texas Ranger James Campbell built a two-room log cabin near where downtown Seguin is today. But things take a turn because Campbell was captured by the Comanches, scalped alive, stripped naked, and then stabbed 27 times. God damn. Okay, be prepared to yikes shame me because yikes. Yikes. I just want to insert the little like bell. Ding, ding, shame. Ding, ding, shame, shame. (laughs) Going to be the first of my second Game of Thrones reference tonight. So buckle up. The cabin was then sold to Joseph F. Johnson, who turned the cabin into Seguin's first and only stagecoach station. He then added a three-room building in the back, turning into Seguin's first hotel. You guessed it, the Magnolia. So we're going to take a slight history detour here. This building was a concrete structure built by Dr. John E. Park, who experimented with concrete construction using local materials. He built nearly 100 buildings in Seguin, making it the largest concentration of 19th century concrete buildings in the whole United States. Well, that's cool. 20 of those buildings are still standing. And the Magnolia Hotel is the oldest one. Nice. Cool. So, detour over. In 1946, the hotel was sold to wealthy Jeremiah Calvert, who is the chief... Chief. Oh, my God. (sighs) I swear I'm smart. Okay. (laughs) He was the chief justice of Seguin, who performed many weddings, including his daughters, to the famous Texas Ranger, Captain John Hayes. And he was a big damn hero. <laughs> Can you guess the reference? Can you guess? Hell it? yeah, Firefly. Oh, I did that for you. Thank okay. you. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> but only four years later, Calvert sold the hotel to dentist William Reed, who ran it until 1860. He added the interior section, which combined the buildings, making it the largest hotel in Seguin until the mid-1900s. I was unable to confirm or deny whether or not he did dentist work in the hotel because, honestly, 1800s dentistry is, like, some form of torture, and I'm sure there's a lot of restless spirits just because of that. I had never thought of that, but, yeah, that would be definitely a cause for badness. I can't wait. Think about it. They (laughs) They didn't have anesthesia. They didn't have, like, pain stuff. They were just ripping out teeth. Like, it was nothing. They had these like little contraptions that would like latch on and just rip it out. No, Thanks, I hate it. No, no, <laughs> all no. Okay. Later, it sold to Colonel Thomas Dickey Johnston, 
and his wife, Catherine, who ran it until 1900 as an overnight stop for stagecoaches. So during this time, they reportedly had a bell that announced the arrivals, mealtimes, and emergencies that just happened to be from the Alamo. Like, how do you just casually get a bell from the Alamo? Yeah, like you do. Okay, I'm going to tell you. The bell was fished out of the San Antonio River in 1845, and it was brought to the Magnolia Hotel, where it just casually resided until 1900. And then a woman from Seguin purchased it, and then she gave it to the Daughters of the Republic of Texas, and then they eventually gave it to the Alamo, where it is today. Well, that's awesome. I know. Who knew? But I guess the concrete pad where it was is still there. So that's cool. And I may or may not have done a drive-by and taken pictures of this building. We will definitely put those on our Facebook page. (laughs) So we're going to fast forward to 1930, and the Lanham family bought it, and they turned the second story into an apartment complex. But uh, it all went downhill from there. So by the late 1990s, it was abandoned and falling apart. And by 2012, it was placed on the Texas Most Endangered list. Okay. In 2013, a historian... What? Holler. Shout out. And author Aaron Geedy. Oh, I was going to look that up how to say that. It's either Getty or Geedy. I'm going to say Geedy. And her husband, Jim. And they bought it to restore it to its heyday. Cool. So uh, now for the spooky shit. Yes. So the new owners reported that during the restoration, the building exploded with paranormal activity, which actually caused them the loss of all their contractors. And then the restoration had to halt. That is beautiful. (laughs) You imagine I just spent all this money buying this house and nobody will work in it. That would make me want to work in it more. I know, right? Unless it was like a ghost running around with like a nail gun. Like, come on, motherfucker, let's play. (laughs) Then maybe I'd quit. Yeah, that would give me pause. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the owners luckily refused to allow the spirits to stop their progress. And they've grown to coexist with the numerous spirits that still reside in the building's walls. So I love how casual they are with like their spirits in their walls. That's not normal. No. No. Another nope. Nope the fuck out of there. Nope. All right. I'm just going to hold up my nope sign that no one can see but us. (laughs) With the (laughs) assistance. Man, the bloopers are getting a lot tonight. Yikes. Sorry, bloopers. (laughs) All right. So with the assistance of a well-known Texas psychic, the owner's ability to communicate with the spirits along with her powers of historical research. Holla, historian. They identified 13 spirits. Now the Magnolia Hotel is a happening place for ghost hunters and has been featured on Ghost Adventures, Ghost Adventures Aftershock, the Nick Groff Tour, the Discovery Channel's When Ghosts Attack, Destination America's Ghost Brothers, which is hilarious, by the way. The Ghost Ghost Brothers. (laughs) Ghostbusters? Who are you going to call? All right. Ghost Brothers! And then also the PBS show called Strange Town. And there was also just so many newspapers, TV, news channels. Everybody's done something on this hotel. So what are people reporting? Get your notes ready. Are they ready? You got your notes signed? So many notes. I've got my notes signed. All right. My forehead. Firstly, people smell strange smells, including cigar smoke that they think is the original owner, James Campbell. You know, the guy that got scalped alive and stabbed 27 times. He earned the right to smoke in the afterlife. 
Hell yeah, he did. That's a rough way to go. I, mm. Oh, also the building has like an Indian raid shelter because of that. Creepy. Apparently you get to see it on the ghost tour. Cool. All right. So you also see shadow figures and a lot of them have been caught on camera and they are all on the website and the Facebook page. So you should definitely go look at those because okay. some of them uh, look pretty real. Like I'm like a healthy level of skeptic. Like I believe, but I also think people are fucking with you. Like, you know, get 80% of the time. So big, big, big Yep. <laughs> so there's also a ghost of a young girl they call Itsy because the Itsy Bitsy spider will pop in your head every time you walk into a certain room. Yes. Like, like, nope, get out of my head. No, I do not like that. No, no. Okay, next is a dark spirit of a serial killer who apparently will fuck your shit up. Also, nope. I, no. That's a big nope. nope. Yeah. And then there's also slamming of doors and cabinets, furniture dragging, knocking, footsteps, and then they've caught a lot of EVPs, that electrical voice phenomenon, and then digital recordings and photographs, which most of them are on their Facebook page because they really document their ghosts pretty well. Good. So, I just happened to watch Ghost Adventures for research purposes. <laughs> it's <laughs> hey, very Zach scholarly. Baggins. Yeah, it's very scholarly, I promise. And, um, so, yeah, Zach Baggins is a lot. Like, I, I just can't. <laughs> he's, he's a lot, and I love him for it. The dramatic reenactments were just too much. <laughs> Isn't that the episode where he also does the dramatic walking down the railroad tracks in Austin? Yes, he does. God bless them. Oh, yeah, that happens. Yeah, it's a it's a quality episode. I think it's season 10 or something. It's like the Texas Horror Hotel or something. Oh it's God. worth a watch. I mean, it's, it's entertaining. It's totally worth it. Hell yes. All right, so I'm going to talk about two of the spirits that are featured on the show because they seem to be two of the biggest ones there. And uh, so how does it relate to family, you ask? Ooh, Kina, how does it relate? Okay, well, the first oh. ghosty is like a 23andMe situation. Uh, and the second is like a dysfunctional family murder ghost. Okay. Casual. All right. So first with the ghosty 23andMe. So in the back section of the original hotel, that was that concrete building. It's a, mm-hmm. now they nicknamed it the Adobe. Famous fortune teller named Idella Lampkin used to offer readings to prominent members of Seguin Society in the late 1800s. She was apparently so good that people were bothering her at her house. So she relocated to the Magnolia so that they would just leave her the hell alone. Nice. She lived a really long life and passed away at the age of 90 in 1965. But her spirit reportedly still hangs out at the Magnolia Hotel. And uh, I actually emailed the owner of the Magnolia Hotel. (laughs) And she said that Idella has become like a friend that... She contacts huh. her so much that they actually have, like, a relationship and that she's very close to her. And she actually helped her develop her own psychic abilities. So, that's cool. Huh. Well, that's cool. I know. I'm surprised she emailed me back. So, I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> she's also written a bunch of books. So, she wasn't going to give me a whole lot. She was just like, go buy my books, bitch. <laughs> so nice. I'm going to go get your books. I promise. Yes, we will. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> So the owner, who is a self-proclaimed medium, says Idella gave her a message to find a descendant and bring her to the hotel. And she does. She finds her descendant. Her name is Tanisha Sutton. And she had no idea who Idella Lampkin was, let alone that she was related to her. So the owner, who is also a fabulous historian, did Tanisha's genealogy and discovered that she was actually related to Idella. 
So here's the thing. I'm super jealous because I dropped like 200 bucks to get my DNA ancestry health thing. And she's just got a ghost hanging out being like, hey, I'm your ancestor. And then she gave her psychic powers. Dude. What? I need my ancestors to pull through. Right? Where are you? Come in clutch, Mama. (laughs) Damn. Yes. So she got psychic powers. And Tanisha is a full-blown psychic now, just like her great-great-whatever. And she was honestly the most delightful part of the Ghost Adventures episode, if you ask me. You should go watch it. Yes, I'm going to have to rewatch it. It's been so long since I've watched it all the way through. All right, so now on to the dark spirit who fucks shit up. <clears throat> His name is William Faust. It's very Faust. German. I did not realize this till I moved here, but this area is very German. Super German. You mean next to New Prawnfuls? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You nailed it. All right, so... <laughs> In 1874, William Faust was staying at the Magnolia Hotel, and he stole the hotel's horse and rode to New Braunfels in the middle of the night and mistakenly murdered a 12-year-old girl. Oops. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, so uh, you might be wondering how you accidentally kill a kid. Not only did he accidentally kill a kid, he rode a horse to New Braunfels, which is an hour. It's not just like 20 minutes like it is now. That is an hour ride. That's how long I travel to kill a kid. <laughs> All right, so this is what happened. Faust's wife was staying with friends, the Volker family. I hope I'm saying that right. And they were staying in New Braunfels. He allegedly rode to their house and began hacking at what he thought was his wife with an axe. And then this didn't go well because then his wife walked in. <laughs> he then nice. axed, Yeah. He then axed said wife in the eyeballs once he realized that she was over there. And then he figured out that the girl in the bed was the family's daughter, Emma. Shit. So Emma was killed, but the wife, Helene, survived, but she was blinded for life. But she ain't got no eyes. She ain't got no eyes. They all gone. <laughs> they all gone. <laughs> so Faust reportedly raced back to the Magnolia Hotel, where he supposedly fell asleep very calmly in his bed. Seriously? Calmly? calmly. Just hack yes. people to death and you're just calm? All right. Well, not surprisingly, he was arrested pretty fast. <laughs> and... My, my opinion is probably because the husband usually does it, so it probably wasn't very hard. So he was tried and later found guilty of the crimes, and once he was convicted, he confessed and admitted that he killed two other people, hence making him a serial killer, because technically that means the murder of three or more people. Yes. He was sentenced to prison and then was moved several times for his own safety, but when he was in the basement of the courthouse in New Braunfels, he was shot while under heavy guard through the window by an unknown assailant. He did, and they didn't care to find out who did it because he was real dead. Yes. He's real dead. He now apparently haunts the Magnolia Hotel where he is reported to be a dark, angry spirit that makes people, especially women, feel like they can't breathe and have a pressure on their chest. Thank you and make them not see since he axed a woman in the damn eyes. Surprising you said that, because a woman on a ghost hunt reported that her eyeballs were severely scratched by a house. Jesus. Right. So uh, Zach Baggins asked the owner if that happens a lot, and she just casually said, oh, yeah, all the time. So then he asked, well, how many were seriously hurt by him? And she said seven. All the time. Right? Seven. So then Baggins is, is proclaimed... Are you scratching people, William? Will you scratch a man? Cue dramatic music. I just can't with I can't with him. Come like, to Zach Daddy. 
I get it. Like, if I had the money to buy haunted shit like he does, I would do it. But I just don't think I would. I don't think. I mean, we have been on a ghost hunt together. And we were yes. not that extra. No. I was, I've was. i been on two ghost hunts now. And I did not wear bondage pants once. <laughs> I'm coming for you, Zach Daddy. Okay. Whew. I can breathe. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's the thing. They kept calling this guy a serial killer. And before I found out about his confession, I Googled and I found that there's recently some doubt on whether or not he actually did it. So in 2012, the Magnolia owner, who we talked about before, says that she discovered that the verdict is wrong and revealed that her research, along with the help of the spirits of Emily and the wife, Helene, that the actual murderer was M.P. Devers, and that he actually confessed on his deathbed. Dun, 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 plot twist. What the fuck is that? Right? So Devers was a music teacher who was staying at the Magnolia Hotel at the same time as Faust, right? And I guess Faust was bitching about his wife, being like, oh, what was me, blah, 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 blah. But then he mentioned that she was staying with friends who happened to be rich. So he said that he went over there intending to rob them, and then just, I guess, accidentally murked them all out. So it was like a really weird, like, strangers on a train situation. And he just went and, like, fucking axed his wife in the face. I guess. Yeah. According okay. to this guy, on his deathbed, he said he did it. So she said that if Faust is innocent, the New Braunfels Police Department doesn't want to do anything about it. But uh, the New Braunfels Police Department didn't actually exist until 1930. So they really honestly couldn't do anything. Yeah. It was a marshal, city marshal system before then. So jury's still out on whether or not Faust really did it. But then I found it interesting. If he didn't do it, then why is he scratching people's eyeballs? Like, why is he fucking shit up? Or what if it's like something pretending to be Faust or the Ooh, ghost yeah. of the dude who really did do it? Who's like, haha, you think it's Faust and not me, scratch, scratch. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. The last thing is that the hotel's not actually open to the public, so it's not a hotel right now. It's a oh. private residence, residence, and it's also an event hall. But they open it up for ghost tours about once a month, and they charge $20, and that helps with the renovation. So it went from this decrepit, drug-infested house where nobody wanted to go to, and now it's a really nice place, and people are scrambling from all over the country to go see it. So, huh, I thought it was like a legit hotel. No, not right now. They have open houses, and then they have ghost tours. So if you happen to be in Seguin, you should go check it out. I know. I went, and I stalked it, and I parked in front of it, and then I took pictures, and my shutter went off without me actually touching the camera, so I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, it could just be my phone malfunctioning, which is probably the logical. Your phone is possessed. Yeah, but I was like, ooh, they got me. Little ghost in there. (laughs) Ghost playing with the Samsung. I know. The ghost being like, you about to podcast about me? I'm going to give you some shit to talk about. Yes. I love it. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm dreading this one. So for my second role, I'm not like being nice and giving you a choice of which to hear next because I've purposefully like laid out my next two stories the way I have on the purposes. That's fair. I accept it. Okay, good. Your judgment. Okay, good. I rolled morbid as fuck, morbid AF, and I decided to do my story on Barbara Daly Bakeland. And, okay, so you know last week, like, my morbid as fuck was about the Easter Sunday massacre. 
And we were both like, yikes, oh no, it's so sad. This shit makes that look like a walk in the park. Oh no. Yes, and like, it severely, severely, I tried to say severely and seriously at the same time. (laughs) Severely, like, tanked my mood today because it's just real sad. I am going to say, like, as someone with mental illness, this story hits, like, really hard because there's a lot of that in here. I'm just going to go ahead and bury the lead and then we're going to, like, backtrack. Barbara Daly Bakeland was a wealthy socialite who was stabbed to death with a kitchen knife by her son, Anthony Bakeland, in London on November 17th, 1972. Oh, no. So this does not have a happy ending. Oh. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So a native Bostonian, she lost her father to suicide when she was 10. And then uh, he he did it in such a way that it looked like an accident. So his so her and her mom could still cash out the insurance money. Okay. And so then they took that money and they moved to the Delmonico Hotel in New York City. Okay. So while living in New York, she built her presence as a socialite. And I saw in several articles that she was listed as one of the quote unquote 10 most beautiful girls in New York City. But I could not find who actually made that list. I don't know if it was like a weird like burn list went around high school and there was a hot or not list and she was on it or if it was actually like a magazine or anything. But because of her distinction on this list, she gained modeling contracts through Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, she was she was a she was hot shit. So from the pictures I saw of her, she was absolutely gorgeous. Like, I understand why she was on the list because, I mean, she was lovely. So. This gained her invites to high society parties and she hobnob and converted with like lots of healthy or wealthy, not healthy. They could have been healthy too. I don't know. Lots of wealthy suitors. They were all named, but I'm like really hesitant to put all their names down in case their estates ever come after us. (laughs) Please don't sue us. Yes, please don't sue us for libel or slander, whichever one is vocalized. So wealthy suitors, we'll leave it at that. So upon doing a screen test in Hollywood because she wanted to be a big famous actor, she met actress Cornelia Bakeland, who was a big deal. Apparently, she went by the nickname Dickie and through Dickie, she met Brooks Bakeland, who became her husband. So they got married because Barbara told Brooks that she was pregnant, but she was not pregnant. Oh, no. She wanted to get married and try and basically forced his hand and said, hey, I'm pregnant. So you've got a shotgun wetting it up. And he did. After time, she became really well known. Like they hung out with all these famous people and she became well known for her unstable personality, her rude outburst and bouts of severe depression. And she drank really heavily. And she and her husband both had extramarital affairs. Like it was a super duper healthy relationship. And August of 1946, she gave birth to their son, Anthony. So the family lived all over the world because Brooks Bakeland's grandfather was the inventor of plastic, basically. Bakeland plastics. Yeah. Or uh, Bakelite plastics, not Bakeland. Bakelite plastics. So they, they were wealthy, plus, you know, her money and all that. So they lived all over the world until Brooks met another woman and asked for a divorce. At this point, Barbara tried to commit suicide, so Brooks stopped the affair and was like, okay, I'll be with you. In 1967, Anthony, who was 20 at the time, met Jake Cooper, 
an Australian who was apparently well known to be a bisexual. And I saw differing reports that Anthony was bisexual. Some reports said he was homosexual. It just kind of like, depending on which article I read, it kind of went back and forth. So Cooper introduced Anthony to lots of hallucinogenic drugs and they became intimately involved. Barbara did not love this arrangement, and after a failed attempt to stop it, where the drugs that they were doing, I think they, it said were in like Morocco, and Barbara drove to Morocco and was like, you're bringing your ass back. But when they hit the, I believe it was the French border, Anthony did not have his passport. And so they both got arrested for trying to cross without papers. And eventually after they were released from prison, she came back to her home, and I think at the time she was living in Paris, and then... Anthony went back with his friends. So after this failed attempt to stop him from being with Jake Cooper, she accepted it, but she was still, it was like that begrudging, like, okay, you're going to do what you're going to do, but have you met this really great girl? And so he kept trying to encourage her to have a relationship with a girl named Sylvie, who was a classmate of his, but that backfired on her because Sylvie ended up having a relationship with Barbara's husband, Brooks. Oh, And Brooks finally, he told Barbara again, I want a divorce. She attempted suicide twice. And after that, he was like, I'm done with this behavior and actually divorced her. And he married Sylvie and they had a kid. After Barbara was divorced from Brooks, she started what could be termed an intense six-week affair with pop art curator Samuel Adams Green. And like it was a really short affair, but... Afterwards, she became like absolutely obsessed with him. And I read a report that she actually walked through the snow in, I think it was Central Park, maybe, through his door in nothing but a mink coat and no shoes to like beg him to take her back. Oh, my. Yeah. So, I mean, she was she was very intense. I saw other reports that her mom had had mental issues, too, and she kind of inherited those. So, I mean, she was she was pretty unstable. So over... The years, as Anthony grew up, even before he met Jay Cooper and kind of went into this relationship with him and kind of, you know, was being himself, which like side note, here's my little rant for the podcast. There's nothing wrong with being gay. There's nothing wrong with being bisexual. Love who you want to love. And I think it's really shitty when people don't accept their kids. Yes. Preach. End rant for now. So anyways, and this is where it gets really fucked up. So over the years, as Anthony Anthony grew up, Barbara attempted to quote-unquote fix his homosexuality or bisexuality by paying prostitutes to sleep with him. Oh, no. No. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, really fucked up. So when this didn't work, it's alleged that Barbara coerced him into having sex with her. Oh, no. No. Yes. Like, what the actual fuck? So this plus Anthony's similar untreated mental health issues, it was said that he was schizophrenic and he was untreated. His father believed that psychiatry was like a quack science and so wouldn't let him see anything. So he went unmedicated and had all this awful shit happen to him. Well, because of all this, it led to many violent arguments involving knives over the years with his mother. As I was doing these notes, I can't decide... You know, like, naturally, as humans, we always want to feel bad for one side or the other. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every system failed these people on both sides. So I couldn't, like, figure out who I was naturally, like, rooting for. 
in July of 1972, Anthony tried to throw Barbara into traffic outside of her home on Cadogan Square in Chelsea, London. And he was only only because he was too physically weak and her friend Susan Guinness stepped in is why he didn't kill her then. Metropolitan Police charged him with attempted murder, but Barbara refused to press charges. So instead, he was admitted to a psych hospital, but he didn't stay for very long. He came back to live with Barbara. Then he started seeing a psychiatrist while living at home. On October 30th of that year, the doctor that he had been seeing, the psychiatrist, warned Barbara that Anthony, Anthony, I cannot say his name for some reason, was dangerous and capable of murder. Like, he was literally like, hey, uh, I'm pretty sure your son might actually kill you. And she was like, no, it's fine. I don't care. So two weeks after that, she died almost instantly by stabbing. Yeah. So, like, can you imagine birthing your own killer? No, I cannot. Like, I, I don't understand at what point. Like, I wonder if, as they were arguing, if she was like, maybe some of the things I did led me to this place. Like, I don't know. Like I said, like. Every system failed these people. But anyway, after she died, Anthony calmly waited for police to arrive. Damn calmly. And later he confessed. And the police said that when they arrived, he was like so detached and so calm about it that when they walked in, he was actually on the phone ordering Chinese food. Oh, wow. Is that like a psychotic break or was he? Yes. Like he kind of just like broke and was so detached from it. And I think like didn't even really register like I did this thing or even if he did, I think he was just so like done with it. And like whatever was happening with him was just this was the next logical step. So from then until July 21st, he he was charged with murder. And until July 21st of 1980, Antony was sent to Broadmoor Hospital Prison. But because of his social status, he had friends in high places and they worked with the courts and his doctors to have him released. Okay. So he subsequently that same day flew to New York City to live with his grandma, Barbara's mom, Nene Daly. Six days later, on July 27th, he attacked her with a kitchen knife. Oh, no. He stabbed her eight times, breaking several of her bones. But she survived. Oh, my God. I didn't see that coming. I didn't either. So he stabbed her, but she survived. He was charged with attempted murder, and he was sent to Rikers Island Prison. After being assessed by a psychiatric team for eight months, he was due to be released on March 20th of 1981. But there was a delay in the transfer of his records from London for the judge to see. So he adjourned the case to postpone it until a later date. And Anthony was taken back to his cell. 30 minutes later, he was found by guards suffocated with a plastic bag in his cell because he killed himself. Oh, my God. Yes. So that's basically the end. Like, I mean, it's just like I said, like this makes last week sound like a walk in the fucking park. Oh, for sure. This was like the most toxic. It's kind of like and I was thinking about it because I did the Oedipal Complex and how this was like the opposite of it. Like the mom was so obsessed with the son instead of the son being so obsessed with the son, the mom. Yeah. And like it's just it's so sad. This it is like is tragic. I'm so hesitant to point it towards, you know, his like untreated schizophrenia or anything because. You know, you and I used to work with a lot of schizophrenic people at our old library. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we saw some stuff, but, like, schizophrenia is so demonized. Mm -hmm. 
in media and all that. So I'm afraid to say that it could have been just part of his paranoid schizophrenia or if he had just like had enough of people's shit or what. I mean, people kill people for all kinds of reasons. So like, I'm really afraid to say that it was one thing or another and I couldn't find a definitive psychological approach to his case. But yeah, like, I mean, he just, this dude was failed in so many ways. And, and this was also the 70s, right? Yes, the 70s and 80s. So uh, mental health reform was like not a thing. I mean, it was oh, awful. Yeah. I did my thesis on the lunatic asylum in Arkansas. Yes. Psychology is so incredibly new. It's mm -hmm. such a baby science that by the time the asylum was destroyed in the mid 60s, psychology was basically just a baby being born so by the time the 70s it's still being formed like there probably wasn't even the means to help him at that time yeah like it i mean there's just like there's so many places that life went wrong for these people like they needed help from the ground up and never got it so there was actually a movie made out of this story eddie redmayne plays anthony bakeland Ooh, i like him i do too he real pretty <laughs> Uh, I just immediately started thinking of Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> do, 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 do. the wrong movie. Also, <laughs> this is ter This is a terrible segue, but we, when we were coming back from our errands today, we got behind a car whose license plate said Dark Arts. <gasps> and I was like, yes, I love this car so much. Their license plate is Dark Arts. It's Harry Potter. And then the light turned green and they didn't fucking go. And I was like, <laughs> I hate the dark arts. I was so mad. My husband was like cracking up and I was just like, damn you, dark arts. That is a beautiful story. But yeah, sorry. I had to, I had to throw that in because it, A, I thought of it and B, I just need to pretend that that story just did not happen for a second. Well, I guess I could do funny AF next to kind of lighten the... Yes, please. <laughs> All right. So for funny as fuck, we're going to talk about the Julio Claudian family. Ooh. Oh, I know. Fancy. Going back to Rome, guys. All right. So the Julio Claudians were the first Roman imperial dynasty. So this meant that it consisted of the first five emperors, which were Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. And I'm pretty sure you guys all remember them from history class. And they were not good dudes, most of them. But none are as horrible as our man Caligula that we're going to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so let me set the mood here. <clears throat> His reign is known as the 1400 Days of Terror. <laughs> I swear it gets funny. I promise. So this is about first century AD, so less than 20 years after Jesus died. So, so at this time, Rome is the greatest superpower in the world. They dominate over 2 million square miles of land around the Mediterranean. So today that'd be 47 countries. This is approximately 55 million people, which would mean one in four people on earth at this time was under Roman law. A lot. And all of them are ruled by this 24-year-old dude named Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus, who was the great-grandson of Julius Caesar. He was nicknamed Caligula because it means little boots. And he got that nickname from the boots he wore as a kid because they dressed him up like a little soldier. And then they unfortunate. called him Caligula. <laughs> also, let's backtrack and imagine yourself at 24 years old. Okay, you little imagine? boots. 
Can you can you imagine twenty four year old Ashley ruling fifty five million people? Oh hell yes, I am a born <laughs> ruler. I mean, I, no, that's terrible. <laughs> All right, so even though he ruled two thousand years ago, you probably know his name because he was a ginormous dick, right? Yeah, yes. But despite his bad reputation, cue Taylor Swift song because that swap just popped in my head. Bad reputation. <laughs> anyway. He was extremely well-loved in his first six months of his reign, which I didn't realize. The tide turned when he came extremely ill, and then when he recovered, his mental health drastically changed, and then he was remembered by history as being this ruthless, sadistic, and sexually depraved tyrant. So if you watch Game of Thrones, thank Joffrey Baratheon, right? Ugh. I mean, the human (laughs) embodiment of period cramps. (laughs) Yes. So not only does he kind of look like him, like his actions don't far fall far from the. Let me. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. The character's actions don't really fall far from the Caligula trope tree. Nice. That was a mouthful. I know. I was really proud of it, and I just can't get it out. No, it's beautiful. Keep it. <laughs> All right. So we're not going to go into like how horrible he was. We're going to talk about the really funny ass shit he did. Are you ready? Because I don't think you're ready for this. Strapped in. Let's ride. All right. So the first thing is he liked to bathe in gold and drink pearls. So I thought he was like literally filling a bathtub full of like gold coins and like swimming like a la DuckTales. Yes. (laughs) DuckTales. That was my first thought. But apparently he just poured them on the ground and then he would like walk on them barefoot and then wallow around in them for a few hours. Like which gold is, angels? Yeah, but less cool. He should have went full ducktails. For real. I know. And then he would drink the natural pearls by dissolving them in vinegar first. Because that um, sounds delicious. Yeah, that's going to be a hard pass for me. Does the body good. So the second thing that I found hilarious is that he built a temple for himself. And I mean, people build temples, but it's usually after you're dead. But he wanted one when he was alive. He was super extra. And he not only wanted a temple, he wanted a golden statue of himself erected so that he could dress it in the same clothes he was wearing every day. Yikes. (laughs) So it was like little boots as she shed. Yes! (laughs) Oh, God, that's good. All right. Next, he proclaimed himself to be Jupiter. So... Old Gaius didn't really like his name, and he really hated his nickname Caligula. So he decided that he would just be called Jupiter, you know, like the ancient Roman king of gods. So nice. He enjoyed dressing as Jupiter, including a golden beard and holding a thunderbolt in his hand. <sighs> I can't. Please tell me it was like, like made of like plywood. I, I don't know, but I just can you imagine? You're like. Dude, you're you're my emperor. Uh, I'm supposed to take you seriously, but I, I don't. But you couldn't say anything because then he would kill you. Yeah, I would be like that one peasant in the stocks that's like hanging and is like, well, there goes little boots with his gold beard. Her, her, her. <laughs> and then they'd whip me. There was actually a story where he was standing next to the statue of Jupiter and he asked somebody passing by and he was like, hey, who do you think's more mighty, me or, you know, Jupiter? And he hesitated so he got whipped because he hesitated. <laughs> there goes my hero. <laughs> Watch him as he goes. <laughs> all right. So he also chopped all the heads off of all the deities in the temples and put his own head on them. Of course he did. I mean, as one does. 
God damn it, Little Boots. I know. And then he also requested offerings of Little Boots. I can't stop saying it. I'm sorry. I could not <laughs> I could not worship Little Boots. All right. So he requested offerings of flamingos and peacocks. <laughs> this is probably my favorite story ever. He really loved his horse, and he wanted to make his horse a consul, as in a government official. Okay. <laughs> So even though this never actually happened, in Sitticus, I think I'm saying that right, in Sitticus, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Which is the name of his horse. Okay. So he enjoyed all the pleasures of being the emperor's favorite. So the horse had a stall made of marble. He had a feeder made of ivory and a collar decorated with the most precious stones of the empire. There's more. All his blankets were of purple dyed fabric, which in Rome was the most important. So he also owned furniture. He was also a racehorse because Caligula liked racing. So the day before any race, he ordered silence in the neighborhood so that his horse wouldn't be distracted. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) And then also at dinner, the horse was invited to drink wine from a golden chalice and he was fed golden oats by hand. You know what? He's still shitting hay. He's still a horse. God damn. <laughs> right. Uh, and then while he was racing, there were soldiers out there to make sure the horse got some goddamn peace and quiet. So reportedly Caligula noticed that the crowds cheering bothered the horse. So he sent the soldiers out to force everyone in attendance to stay quiet on pain of death until the horse was happy. Good Lord. <laughs> Oh, man. That is, like, so fucking extra. <laughs> it's so extra. Like, everyone be quiet. My horse is sad. <laughs> but Caligula also liked to perform. And one of my little favorite tidbits I found was once in the middle of the night, he called all his counselors together. And when they arrived, they were all really scared and nervous because they're like, what the fuck is this guy going to do? Apparently, he just wanted him to watch as he performed a dance in a long tunic and a robe. And then disappeared without saying a word about what had just happened. I just picture Buffalo Bill. Like, (laughs) would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is what happened. Let's write it down in the history books. We don't need to contest that. That's right. Fuck you, history books. We're writing our own history. (laughs) That's where we are now. All right, and this is my other favorite story. So apparently he ordered his men to attack the English Channel. That's right, attack the English Channel. Legend has it that Caligula once declared war on Neptune, the god of the sea, and ordered that his men stab the English Channel. Yikes, little boots. (laughs) I want a t-shirt that says little boots. Look out in our merch store coming soon. (laughs) I stabbed the English Channel and all I got was these little boots. All right, so the version of this that's accepted by historians is that Caligula was leading a failing campaign against the Britons, and his men were pretty pissed off because they got their pay cut. So to make it up to them, he thought it was a great idea to march them up to the English Channel and then tell them that whatever they could fill their helmets was was their pay. Essentially, he says, in lieu of pay, take some seashells. He said his men were to take the spoils of the ocean as their reward for their hard work. Anything they could fit in their hat was theirs for the taking, he promised. Go your happy way, Caligula told his men as they scooped shells and rocks out of the ocean. Go your way, rich. 
I've never wanted to shit in a hat and put it on someone's head so badly in my life. <laughs> that is the natural reaction, I think. Yes. I, seashells weren't worth anything, I don't know. Unless you're Sally and you're selling seashells on the seashore. <laughs> that oh. is how that happened. Sally was under Caligula. Uh, that makes more sense. How can I say that little rhyme, but I couldn't do my first story without starting over? <laughs> All right, so this one's also pretty, a delicious historical nugget. He spent a fortune building massive floating orgy palaces. My God. He may have been crazy, but he knew how to party. (laughs) After he came to power, Caligula blew every penny he had on building two massive floating pleasure palaces so that he could throw some orgies. Nice. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Once built... Caligula hosted crazy orgies on Lake Nimi, and his favorite guests were his own sisters, and things got a bit incesty. Yucks. But that didn't stop there. He ordered his noblemen to bring their wives when they visited. He made them line up in front of him, inspected their bodies, and then picked his favorite to bring to his chamber. Then he came back out, sat next to the husband, and then made the man sit through a detailed review of how his wife performed. (laughs) here's her report card here's where she needs to approve (laughs) exactly oh man all right my next story i think is also my favorite petty betty story yes petty betty so caligula's greatest achievement in his you know four years because it was pretty short was building this three mile yeah if he built this three mile floating bridge across the gulf of baia i googled that and that's how they said to say it so if i said it wrong Sorry. So at the time, a bridge like that was completely unheard of, but he did it completely out of spite. Before he became emperor, an astrologer named Theracillus, oh my God, Rome was hard. Um, he had predicted that Caligula had no more chance of becoming an emperor than riding a horse across the Gulf of Baia. So Caligula built the bridge just rubbing into the astrologer when he rode his horse across it. Suck it. <laughs> And finally, he wouldn't let anybody mention goats. Let me explain. (laughs) So apparently his childhood was pretty rough, looks-wise. One description (laughs) written by the Roman historian Suetonius. He was really harsh. He said he was horribly pale, had a face of an old man, was gloomy with deep-set eyes. His head is deformed and bald, except for a few scanty hairs. His neck is covered with bristles, and he has thin legs and enormous feet. Yikes. Essentially, he looked like a goat. So, he got tired of being called a goat, so he made it a crime for any person to look down on him, so they didn't see that he was bald. Nice. And he also made it a crime punishable by death to talk about goats. Okay, little boots. That's, uh, that's fortunate. I know, I like goats. So, like, on his Tinder profile, would he just say that he was, like, sporty or, like, (laughs) boy next door? I mean, he did like to pretend he was a gladiator. There was one story where he was doing a fake gladiator tournament with a wooden sword. And then as the guy fell, he, like, threw the wooden sword, grabbed a real sword, and killed the guy. And then ran around the Coliseum with the victory ranch, being like, look what I did! Damn. Yeah. Cold he, blood. That's a whole nother morbid uh, segment yes. in the future because he did a lot of a lot of fucked up shit. This is just yes. shit. 
yeah, we'll we'll come back to Caligula on a army on a morbid segment. Oh yeah, I mean he was extra, but he was also horrible. But yes. he also didn't reign very long. It was fourteen hundred days ish. So yeah, and then he got assassinated. Yeah. So you know, it's what happens. Okay, so I guess I can do my random AF random as fuck. So I was originally going to do Ernest Hemingway because my random as fuck word from Kina was a drunk. <laughs> and, you know, Ernest Hemingway has that quote that's attributed to him, right drunk, edit sober, which I pretty much followed my entire, like, entire senior year of undergrad. Like, I wrote every paper while drinking, and I got the best grades I've ever gotten on a paper ever. Wait, I didn't know that was a real quote. I thought just some college student made it up to make us feel better about ourselves. Well, he's got a longer quote that I forgot to write down since I didn't actually do him. But it's, like, it's similar to the right drunk, edit sober. So... Because I was, like, so devastated by my morbid AF, I had to do something a little different. And I was thinking it could be kind of a tiny, tiny preview of a drunk dive that we're thinking about doing. (gasps) So I wrote down drunk headlines in the vein of Florida Man. But I did the entire, like, lower southern eastern part of the U.S. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so happy. (laughs) So I don't have stories. I just have headlines. But we're going to discuss what we think happened after hearing the headline. I am here for it. Yes, I thought it would be a good little respite. It's not the most historical thing. But you know what? With family ties, these people are... Your family members waiting to happen. I would not be surprised if a couple of my extended family members ever ended up in a Arkansas man or Texas man (laughs) headline. That's right. I'm calling you out, extended family. Suck it. Okay. So (laughs) I started with Arkansas man. And to get these, I literally went to Google and wrote or typed, not wrote. I'm not fancy. Arkansas man and drunk. And then the next state man, drunk. So for Arkansas man, I I thought it was only fair to go with my state first. Arkansas men arrested for taking turns shooting each other while wearing bulletproof vest after drinking. (laughs) I saw that on Facebook. (laughs) Yes, and this just happened. And I did like the most recent articles I could find that weren't completely awful. And this was from, like, April 3rd. And, like, we're recording on April 24th. So this was only a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Oh, my God. But I honestly saw that headline, and I wasn't surprised, which should probably tell no. you something. As soon as I saw it, I was like, please don't be related to me. Please don't be related to me. <laughs> oh, what town was it? Oh, shit. I don't even remember. Let me Google it again. But, like, I love that these rednecks were like, let's get drunk and just... Like, Cletus, I'm going to put on the (laughs) bulletproof vest that I got from the Army Surplus, and then you're going to put it on, and we're just going to take turns shooting each other. So they thought it was a great idea. Right. So it was Charles Eugene Ferris, and... I knew what Eugene wants. Yeah. Yeah, I knew he would have done that. (laughs) Yeah, it was Charles Ferris and Christopher Hicks. 
They were <laughs> Hicks. <laughs> yes, yes. And also the article I just opened said, what better way than to shoot each other in a southern version of Russian roulette? Oh, dear God. <laughs> it's not Russian roulette if the um, gun goes off every time. It was Benton County. So up north, <laughs> close to Missouri. Oh. Missouri, you can take that one. Listen, I was born and raised in the Ozarks and I am not shocked. I've no. seen those things probably happen. I was born and raised in southern Arkansas, and I also cannot be shocked by it happening. <laughs> One time in my hometown, yes. this woman got arrested for drinking drunk and driving a lawnmower through town. That was awesome. That <laughs> is like the most Bobby Boucher shit ever, and I love it. <laughs> oh, I love the Ozarks. So, yeah, so that's Arkansas. So I did Texas next. Ooh. Drunk Texas student disrupts flight after girlfriend dumps him via text. <laughs> all my exes live in texas oh oh i like how you put that in there oh, man this like poor student like again i didn't actually write down the story but i'm assuming like this poor student's just like getting on his plane and gets a text that's like well we're done i hope you have a great flight i got t- dumped via text once from a guy because like, like Ashley said with her chronic illness, I also have a chronic illness. And uh, he was like, I'm burnt out on you being sick. And I'm like, motherfucker, <sighs> so am I. And yes. I have never felt so much rage in my life. <laughs> That's probably why he broke up with you via text, because if he'd done it in person, you would have fucking throat punched him. Look, side note for us chronic illness people, a little tiny rant that might turn into a bigger rant. I make no promises. It is hard as hell to be chronically ill. And, like, people get tired of us being chronically ill. We get tired of us being chronically ill. I am so tired of being sick all the time. So, yeah. So, so that happened. So, then I went to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, where there's something, 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 something. When goes sleeping down the plains? Oh, yeah. That sounds better. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I never, I was, I was in a lot of musicals, but never Oklahoma. But, yes, this is my second favorite one behind the Arkansas one. Two arrested after having sex by busy Oklahoma City intersection. (laughs) Oh, oh, please tell me you know what time of day it was. (laughs) I'm assuming it was rush hour because it says busy, but I purposely did not look. Because a lot of these titles I was finding, once I looked at the article, I was like, oh, that's real sad. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if it was like a drug thing or they were just like their ids kicked in and they just had to have it right then, no matter where they were, who was looking or what. But that happened in Oklahoma City. I like how you just tied that to your first story. That's right. That's right. I'm all about them tie-ins. So, yeah. And that was like, that's someone's mom. Oh. That's someone's uncle. Yeah. Anyway, so then Florida, I had, I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to do Florida man because that's where this all started, but I had to. So Florida man drives golf cart drunk, growls like dog and gives <laughs> deputies the middle finger. Yes. Is that like our Thank you, Florida man. <laughs> yes. He is definitely my Patronus and like, I, I even shared the other day on my personal Facebook the Florida man who got arrested for shoving piles of pasta into his face at Olive Garden. He was aggressively <laughs> eating pasta, and they felt he was threatening because of this aggression. So he got fucking arrested. And, like, if that is not how I leave this planet, I'm going to, like, hate myself. 
God bless Florida. I saw that the Easter Bunny punched somebody out in Florida the other day. So it's yes, just, it's just a wonderful mecca of the perfect news headlines. I feel like I tagged you in that because I was like, "Girl, girl, <laughs> look at this shit." One of my friends from college lives in Orlando now, so it was like, "What you think of when you think of Orlando?" And it's Disney World, and it's like, "What you actually see when you live in Orlando?" And it was the bunny punching somebody out. Yes, like, that's exactly all right. It. What I love is that, okay, first of all, this article has three different actions that happened in the title alone, but without an Oxford comma, which I'm a fan of the Oxford comma, so I do object to that. But, like, there's so much shit going on that they had to put three separate articles in one title. Florida man (laughs) drives golf cart drunk. Which would be enough. And then he growls like dog, which would also be enough. And then he gives deputies the middle finger. <laughs> like, as as one does in that situation. Yes. So that's just like, damn. Damn, Florida man. He was like real busy that night. Florida never disappoints. They just don't. Yes. So, okay. From there, we go to Georgia. Ooh. Georgia. Okay. Drunk Georgia man backflips into woman at bar. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, do you go on? That's, yeah, that's, that's the whole, and then it, like, it, yeah, that was just what the police report said. But I, like, I want to imagine that it was like he was so sauced that he decided to coyote ugly it up. Like, maybe some Leanne Rhymes came on the jukebox, and he was like, watch this, and just backflipped into this poor woman. Or did he, like, bring the woman to the bar and is trying to, like, impress her and backflips his feet into her face? <laughs> oh, the visual of both of them is just amazing. It's beautiful. This is history being made. It is. Every day. So, I've got two two more. Okay, I've got Tennessee. <laughs> man who tipped bar staff $22,000 arrested for intoxication, possession of firearm while drunk. I mean, I'm split on that. I mean, he left a really nice tip, but I think, I think he didn't mean to, but here's my question. So did he get arrested for intoxication because he tipped so much and the bar staff was like, that's a mistake. He's obviously drunk. Or did he tip it and then later on got arrested for intoxication? And then they were like, hey, isn't that the guy that gave us 22 grand? Um, It's probably the first. I know I used to work at Sonic when I was in high school. And we were a big, like, touristy town with fishing. So the drunk fisherman would pull up and be like, I need some ice cream. And then we'd be like, all right. And then they would try to tip us way too much. So, like, this one dr- drunk guy was like, here, here, darling, you should have 100 bucks. And I'm like, are you sure you're meaning 100 or you meaning, like, one? And he's like, no, you take it, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, you shouldn't be driving. So then I went inside and I'm like, this dude's drunk out there driving with, like, 20 shakes because he was drunk and he thought 20 shakes would be a good idea. But, yeah, so I agree. I think that they were probably like, this is too much money. He he loaded. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Just love that, like, that whole story was, like, the most Arkansas thing ever. Like, I worked at Sonic, and there was a drunk man. <laughs> he went fishing. Who came from the fishing hole. Oh, I wonder yeah. if he was, like, the catfish where you shove your hand in the little hole. Oh, noodling? Noodling. Noodling. Yes. 
<laughs> no, I went fishing with my dad on Saturday and on the way back, he was like talking about this father daughter team on Instagram that he's seen that does noodling. <laughs> and I was like, dad, I am not cut out for noodling. Like, look, For the people out there in podcast land that do not know, I was born with nine fingers. I'm not shoving my hands in a fish's (laughs) mouth to lose more fingers. I'm already at a deficit for fucking fingers. I don't think my anxiety could take it because, like, what if it hurts? I watched one of those, like, redneck noodling shows once. (laughs) Once. I couldn't do it again. Like, my anxiety was so bad. But they were like, yeah, I came out two years ago. And I had 10 fingers, but I stuck my whole my hand in a hole and it turned out to be a snake hole. And now I got nine. And I'm like, nope, nope I'm out. Nope. I 100, like I am out of 3000. I cannot do it. Yeah. Uh, are you trying to make me miss home? Because I'm missing home. <laughs> you want to come noodling this summer, girl? <laughs> oh, my God. I have one last headline. Okay, I'm ready. My body is ready. And this time, this comes from Alabama. So, Alabama man says he ran from deputies because he needed to feed his hogs. (laughs) I mean, maybe he just really cares about his hogs. Could be a sweet story. Maybe he knew, like, well, I'm going to get arrested, so might as well go feed them before I don't see them for a week. (laughs) So, if anything, he's a humanitarian. A pigitarian? Absolutely. Swinitarian. Swinitarian. I don't know. I'm sorry I didn't have a story story, but I felt like these historical moments in the making would be a nice little side note. (laughs) All right. Well, I got weird AF. Yay. uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Although it's one of those where like it's weird, but it's also sad. So I know it's sad and I feel really bad for her, but we're just going to think of it as weird and then not feel bad about the sad parts. Okay. Awesome. All right. So we're going to talk about Joanna of Castile, who is also known as Joanna La Loca and Joan the Mad. So (laughs) Joanna was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, which you might recognize as the Spanish royals who sent Christopher Columbus on his Western voyage to apparently discover this land that's already been discovered. So at the age of 16, Joanna was betrothed to Philip the Handsome from Austria, who was the only son of the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. A fleet of approximately 22,000 persons accompanied Joanna to the Low Countries in 1496. After a dangerous month at sea with three ships sinking, Joanna disembarked suffering from seasickness and a severe cold. Well, if that's it. (laughs) Right. And then Philip was like, no, not in a hurry to meet her. So he sent his sister to welcome her. No, you don't travel a month and get seasickness and watch all these ships sink for you to brush me off. No, but apparently she didn't hold a grudge like we do. Because when they finally met, it was lust at first sight. Hey. So even though they didn't speak the same language, they wanted to bone. (laughs) The universal language. (laughs) So they immediately ordered the nearest cleric to wed them then and there. Nice. Okay. The cleric hardly finished before the couple vanished into their bedroom. And this is a quote from a website. They flung off their clothes and had passionate relations. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So they did the dirty. The next day, the wedding officially completed the union. All that official shit. So, for Philip, the attraction was just 
completely carnal, which was also a quote. And Joanna was just completely infatuated with this dude. But his life remained a cycle of feasting, drinking, and chasing women. And he had no intention of changing his philandering ways. This did not bode well for Joanna, but can you blame her? For real. She apparently flew into violent rages of jealousy and used a lot of foul language, which cannot relate. (laughs) (laughs) She found out that Philip was taking a mistress, and in a jealous rage, Joanna cut off the woman's long hair, but still unsatisfied, decided to stab her in the face with the scissors. Yikes. Okay. So, like, fuck your entire face. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, Philip was like, dude, you can't do that. And then he locked her in her room where she remained for several days. So, tell me, Ashley, what would your reaction to that be? Being locked in a room for several days? Yes. After a jealous rage where he stabbed somebody in the face. Listen, is there Netflix? No. Am I getting three square meals a day? Maybe. Two square meals a day? Probably. Do I get to nap a lot? Yes. I. (laughs) All right. Well, for those of you in podcast land, if you said witchcraft, you'd be correct. Oh, my second choice. (laughs) So Joanna began to use love potions and other sorcery devised by her Moorish maids, which pissed Philip off even more. And then he ordered that the girls be dismissed. And then he confined Joanna to her room again, where she protested. With a hunger strike. Like, I mean, that sounds like the worst kind of strike for me. I like food. Yeah, if I ev- if I ever had to hunger strike, I would just never strike because I have to eat. I know. I get, like, lightheaded. I need food. <sighs> yes. So her rages escalated, and she reportedly began lashing out at people with a big O stick. Because she was hangry. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame her at all for any of this so far. I get crabby after three hours not eating. (laughs) So in 1504, her mom dies and she becomes officially the Queen of Castile. But Daddy and the old husband have decided that she's too emotional and unstable to rule. So they begin to plot against her. Listen, if I could, I can't even count how many times people in history have been accused of hysteria because they're women. Like, none of this is her fault. If her husband would just keep it in his pants, she wouldn't be mad. Rant over. But uh, I also found it interesting to note that despite all these fights and plots against her to steal her throne, she's popped out five kids at this point. Damn, girl. Five. I'd be hysteric, too. (laughs) Right? There were some, like, stories where, like, they thought maybe the pregnancy is why she was so emotionally unstable. But then when she popped the kid out, she wasn't... Or she was still hysteric and like, come on, guys, get it it's together. Just how she is. Hormones take a while to balance, okay? It just happens. <laughs> so in 1506, the husband comes down with a sudden fever and chills. After a few days, he began sweating profusely and he was unable to swallow or speak. So Joanna, who was pregnant with her sixth kid at this point, stayed by his bedside and cared for him. But within six days, Philip the Handsome died at the age of 28. Joanna, quote, gave away to a storm of grief. Very dramatic. And from that day on, she only wore black, which is the least weird thing to happen from now on. She would not leave the corpse side and continued to caress it for days. Yikes. Days. 
Philip was eventually embalmed, and then he was temporarily inter- temporarily Jesus, I can word interred into a monastery. Rumors began to spread that the queen had the coffin opened every night, and she embraced her dead husband. Yuck! Yuck! Oh my God! Can you imagine the smell? <gasps> there is not enough like <gasps> lavender sachets in the world. No. So historian says that might have been a stretch, but. She did have the coffin open five weeks later in response to the rumors that his body had been stolen. So five <gasps> weeks later, she's opening it up. And they unwrapped his body, and she began kissing his feet <gasps> and had to be removed from the vault by force. Girl. <laughs> girl. Oh, my God. <gasps> Don't be that girl. Oh, there's more. There's more. Ooh. So the city was struck by disease. So Joanna decided to move and wanted to take the coffin with her because it was going to be en route to his final resting place in Granada. The coffin was opened for a second time to ensure that his remains were still there. I guess that makes sense. She then had the coffin carried alongside her with a arm escort. And then she ordered that all the women were to keep a very far distance away from her husband. Girl, ain't nobody want him. Yeah, not now. So they traveled by night only, and during the day they rested in monasteries, deliberately avoiding nunneries. That's probably a good call. (laughs) So she was pregnant, so at this point she's giving birth, and Philip was placed in a nearby church before an altar, and Joanna ordered that women were forbidden to come anywhere near it. Oh, good lord. I know. And then after four months, they began traveling again. And even when giant storms would break out, she refused to stay at nunneries. <laughs> I mean, what are the nuns going to do with your man? I mean. Yeah, for real. Like, that's like probably the safest place to be around women for him. They, they are married to Jesus, okay? Yeah. They don't want your man. And then apparently she opened the coffin two more times during this whole time. And then her father died in 1516, which made her son, Charles V., the king, and he reigned over the kingdom. Joanna later was involved with a failed plot to regain the kingdom, so her son decided to put her in captivity, and she lived the rest of her life out in solitude at the castle of Tordesillas, which, the first time I saw this, I thought it said Tostadas. Because <laughs> sure. I was hungry. <laughs> yes. Uh, food. Again, this hunger strike, which is not not jive well with me. Not feasible. Nope. <laughs> so she died on April 13th, 50, 1555 at the age of 75. And then Joanna and her husband were reunited in death and they were interred together at the Royal Chapel in Granada. But uh, here's my thing. Do you think that he was like, hey, y- you weird. Like, stay away from me. Like in the afterlife. Yeah. He was, like, not waiting at the pearly gates to walk hand in hand with her I mean, he into had to the ever hiding. after. He had yeah. Like, why didn't you bury me? Yeah, like, what the hell? That's how ghosts are made. Yeah, stop smelling my corpse. Bury me. <laughs> I mean, okay, I kind of understand her wanting to keep the corpse, like, keep the casket with her. Because I told Terry that if I ever die before him, that part of my ashes need to be Mixed in one, to one of those eco urns, which I've now learned is a terrible idea because your ashes turn to cement. But I wanted to become an ash tree to be planted in the yard. But if he ever moves, he better dig my ass up and take me with him. And I the other part of my ashes. The same thing. 
Yes. And then the other part of my ashes have to be made into a paperweight so I can continue holding his shit down after I die. <laughs> that is amazing. Because I've totally not given this any thought at all. I know. I told my husband I want to be a giant tree so that he had to explain it to all his future ex-girlfriends because I need to be at the forefront of his mind at all times, even after Yes. And even if they're, like, sleeping at night, your branches can brush against the window. (laughs) Just to remind her that you're still there. I will haunt the fuck out of him, though. Like, I'm determined. For real. Big mood. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes. But, no. Otherwise, it's real weird. Like, maybe don't sniff your husband's corpse. Like, that's very, like, I don't know if you've ever read the short story, A Rose for Emily. I'm just, I'm going to ruin it for every high school senior out there that ever has to read it. But, like, her boyfriend dies and she keeps his corpse for like 20 years and just like covers it in roses and shit and like sleeps with it every night Ooh. yeah like just put it put it in the ground just no I, mean, I will say the grief hits everybody differently and there's people yeah. that you know that's completely okay but uh smelling my husband's dead body is not going to make that grief any better I think the part that I found the weirdest was just that even when he was dead, she's like, bitches, get away. Stay away from my husband. Even you nuns. You nuns, stay away. That was the part that got me. I mean, also the corpse, but mostly just, you know. Yes. What does a nun want with your husband? What does a nun want with your dead husband? For real. Nothing. Although I did have it earlier. I started singing, reunited and it feels so good. Not if he has anything to do with it. No. He he probably noped the fuck out of there. <laughs> Hopefully he, like, believed in reincarnation and just jumped immediately from his death into <laughs> another body and just had no recollection or idea of it. Probably, That's but I think they were pretty hardcore Catholics being Spanish, so. Yeah, very, very, very true. So. Sorry, bro. Is Gross, that all the stories? Oh, my God, it is. What? Time flies when you're having fun talking about corpses. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. We wow, that did really go fast. Um, What all do we need to tell our beloved public? If you are a Patreon donor, we have a poll up right now to help pick our topic for next week. And we um, also posted the first episode of bloopers on Patreon for our majestic as fuck patrons. Oh, yes. And no worries. We will have plenty of bloopers from this episode to apply <laughs> a second video next month. Oh, so many. <sighs> Bless this mess. I'd also like to do a shout out to David Huddleston, a.k.a. Bubba Hud. For- Bubba Hud! And he's one of our majestic as fuck patrons. And I adore David. I've known him forever. And... We met at a bar, and it turns out we're cousins. So that's cool, Arkansas. <laughs> and then our second is Erica. Oh God, Kyo. How do you say her name? I don't know. I was just about to ask you the same thing. <laughs> oh, girl, we love you. We just don't know how to say your name. And we for somebody you. who never has their name pronounced correctly, I get it. I just don't same. know how to say that. Well, the last name. Ashley pretty much is usually pronounced correctly, but Rulo, I get a lot of different okay, things. Okay, okay. Listen, my main name was Hawkenberry, so whenever it changed to size, I thought, oh, people are going to get it, but no, people are like, kindness dis, and I'm like, no, if you would have stuck with one Y sound, you would have got one of them right, but no, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> 
So I get it. I get it. But we really appreciate you guys. And we're so thankful for you donating. And we hope that everybody else will consider Patreon because we have a lot of really cool content. Yes, we do. Yeah, we will um, be sending out an email soon asking for questions for our Q&A live video that we'll be doing soon. So we've been playing around the idea with the drunk dives to kind of look at TV and movies about how historically inaccurate they are, a la the Tudors and Mary Queen of Scots and all of those. And I have a lot of thoughts, so it needed yes. its whole 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 episode for that. Yes, and one of my favorite things to rant about. So yes, that'll be a lot of fun. If you want to follow us on any of our social media, we are at historical af pod on facebook twitter and instagram if you follow us on one you should follow us on all and share us with your friends and family random passers-by customers all that we are still doing our contest where if you give us a good rating or give us a rating it doesn't have to be good but we'd really appreciate it if it was and give us a review on whatever listening platform you are on and then screenshot it and send it to us either on one of our social media um, DMs, hit those DMs, or send it to our email at historicalafpod at gmail.com. We will enter your name into a drawing for some super awesome swag. We don't have a date to do that drawing yet, but we will very, very soon once we get a few more submissions in. But we've already gotten several, and it's really awesome, and we get excited and do actually read every single review, so be nice. Please, 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 please share with your friends and your family and everybody you know. Because these reviews are really helpful because they're going to make us more visible on all these platforms. Right now, we're kind of hidden away and nobody knows who we are yet. So please, if you like us, help us kind of get out there and get all this weird history out where everybody else can enjoy it. Yes. And if you would love to know more about any historical tidbits, feel free to send us a suggestion. I mean, preferably to our email address. Again, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. And, you know, just let us know, like we've, we've got tons of stuff written down, but we also want to give you the content that you want to hear. So if you have something specific you would like to suggest for us, let us know. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. This has been Historical AF and uh, we'll see you next week Woo-hoo. for episode three. Oh my gosh. Right. What? That'd be awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye. I don't know why I waved.